Merry Christmas, everybody. Hey, my name is Paul, if you're visiting with us, by the way. I'm lead pastor, and I just want to let you know, if you're here and you haven't been here for a while, or you've never been here, or it's been a long time, or you've never checked out church, we're super glad that you're here. You are our guests, and we're glad that you've taken some time out on this Christmas weekend to spend some time with us. Now, one of the things we've been doing all this Christmas season is we've been talking about home, and one of the things we do every year is we take up a Christmas offering. What a Christmas offering is, these red envelopes, uh, is uh, offerings that we use with our share partners. So everything we take in in these red envelopes and on Christmas Eve, it goes uh, to different groups throughout the Chippewa Valley, and some of them are working with poverty, some of them are working with lostness, some of them are working with education. But there are several that we're really highlighting this year, and all of them have to do with this thing of home. A couple weeks ago, we had a group called Teen Challenge. They brought their choir in, and that's all about people who are fighting the fight in a long-term place, creating like a year of being at home where they can overcome addiction. It's a really cool ministry. Last week, we heard from Hope Gospel Center, and they are an incredible group in our area addressing homelessness in our region. Well, um, this week, I want to highlight, and we talked to these folks several, uh, uh, like a month ago, uh, the Forgotten Initiative. What the Forgotten Initiative is, it is a wonderful group of people who are coming alongside families that are taking in foster kids. And so, uh, here recently, we had an opportunity to go and a group of our people went and we remodeled one of the family rooms for Lutheran Social Services. And it was just an incredible, you can see some before and after pictures there. It was just an incredible opportunity for us to go in to this place where parents can get reunited with kids and where kids will spend some, a lot of time actually with parents and foster parents and intake and all kinds of things. And these rooms have gotten really dirty and really run down. There's four of them. And we were able to uh, totally renovate one through a lot of what comes through in the Christmas offering and just through some hard work of some of our Jacobswell people. You can see them up on the screen. But that's what this is all about. It's about this thing of home. So I just want to let you know, if you ever wonder who our share partners are, you can pick up a copy of all the different share partners. You can check out our website, Jacobswell Church. Church. Well, this Christmas, we've been talking about this thing of home for Christmas, right? And one of the things that we've been doing is we've been challenging you to do something that's a little counterintuitive, something that's a little different than you'd expect. We've been challenging you to lean into longing, to lean into the ache, the dissatisfaction, the, the hurt of this world and that you carry inside of yourself. Now, I don't know about you, but the songs they sang this weekend, I think they got almost every one of my favorite Christmas songs. I don't know how they did that, but it was just because, here's the thing about, I don't know if you noticed, but every one of these Christmas songs have to do with longing. Oh, come, oh, come. You know, even... I wish you a Merry Christmas. This, this, this whole thing, you know, come no long expected Jesus. And, and these songs that I think are so precious to us, even O Holy Night, long lay the world in sin and error pining. Every one of them is wrapped up in this thing of longing. Do you feel it? Do you feel that, that somehow or another in this world, in this time, we live in a world where something's not right, something's broken, something's not the way it's supposed to be. Let me just give you a couple examples. Is it me or is everybody angry? Is everybody angry and everybody afraid? I mean, we go to, you know, whatever site we go, if you're a Huffington Post person or a Drudge Report person or wherever you get your source of anxiety, I don't know where you get that, but, but wherever you get your fix for that, they're just telling you, be afraid, be afraid. Government shutdown is all going, ah, ah, water walls, water walls, good, bad, I don't know. This whole thing. 
of being afraid and of being angry about it. We live in a culture of outrage. Sometimes I don't know what to say anymore. Because I'm just afraid I'm going to step on somebody something and, and I just don't know. I, I just don't know what's appropriate anymore. And we live in this age of outrage. You know, the other thing I've noticed is, is that we live in an age where a lot of people are just lonely. It's amazing that we, we live in a world full of people, and, and it's still the case, the majority of people will say that they are lonely. And, and this is made worse, right, because of the environment of outrage. I mean, some of you are dreading Christmas dinner because you've got that relative who's really into the political thing or the social thing, and you just know they're going to say the wrong thing, it's going to blow up. And I wonder how many, I want to ask you to raise your hand, I wonder how many of us have lost, or at least felt a distancing of a key relationship over this last year or so because of politics or social. And when we should be coming together, we're actually being ripped apart. You know, it doesn't stop there. We also can look at the world, right? We can see all kinds of evil in the world, right? I mean, you don't have to look far to see wars and disappointments and sicknesses. And, and it's an interesting thing. And, and, and for a lot of you, maybe some of you who are here visiting because you asked mom what she wanted for Christmas and she said, I really want you to go to church. And you went, oh. Because maybe you've given up on this Christianity thing because you look at the world and you, you get this idea. You say, if this Christianity thing was real, if there really was a God, then this world wouldn't be so evil. Because if there's an all-powerful God who, who loves good, why doesn't he do something about this? And, and here's the thing. You think that that argument is a rational argument, but most of the time, I'm going to be honest with you, that's an emotional argument. Because a lot of times what happened is something painful happened to us, and we're struggling to make sense of it, and we're kind of mad at God, and so we're going to show him and just not believe in him. And, and, and we get the idea that somehow or another, if Christianity were true, there wouldn't be evil. But here's the, here's the problem with that. The problem with that is that Christianity actually promises the opposite. Christianity actually says, in this world, there's going to be some evil. There's going to be a lot of evil. And in this world, there's going to be pain. In fact, if it were true that Christianity made a promise, and, and some people are, are making this promise, some goofy preachers who say that, that Christianity's goal is to make your life better now. But, but if that were the case, well, then, then Christianity wouldn't exist because Christianity came to be and flourishes the best during times of deepest evil and greatest injustice. In fact, Christianity explains where the evil comes from. Well, you might say, well, then why does God let the evil keep going on? Why does it keep going on? Because here's the deal. If he deals with some of the evil, because he's a just God, he's got to deal with all of the evil. And, and here's the problem, is there's sure evil out in that world, and there's sure evil in this broken thing, but you know where else there's evil? There's evil inside of me. And you know what? There's evil inside of you. And if he just wipes it all out, he just says, you know what, I'm just going to get, there isn't going to be anything left. And, and what he understands, is, listen, this is important, is, is that there's something worth fighting for. There's something worth sacrificing for. There's something worth letting evil exist for a while so that the good, that is to say the good that is there, the, the valuable things, you and me, can be redeemed from the evil. And that's what he's all about. And so evil is, is something that's a reality in our world, but, but it, it makes it kind of hard. And, and the last thing I notice is not just that there's evil, not just that there's loneliness, not just that there's anger and fear, but the last thing is that there's a crisis for meaning. That is to say that people are wondering, what is life all about? What is it for? And, and this is what we've been saying all Christmas season, is that we've discovered that this life does not have meaning. Now, now this life does not have, have satisfaction and meaning. In and of itself. What I mean is, is that it's not about getting the right job, or protecting yourself from pain, or getting enough money, or getting famous. All of that, even if you get it, and most of us won't, even if you get it, it's not enough. And so this Christmas, I've challenged you 
to lean into the longing, to feel the ache, to acknowledge that this life is not enough, that this life is not satisfied. It's satisfying. And I've confessed to you that I do not find this life satisfying. That there's nothing that I found in this life that says, you know what, that's enough. Now here's the cool thing we're going to discover, is that what Christianity teaches is that that is exactly the way it's supposed to be. That, 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 that it may, may feel to you like a big lump of coal, that if there's no meaning in this life, why do we even live this life? Well, because here's the deal. This life is not about finding meaning today. This life is an investment in the life to come. And when you recognize that the source of meaning is ultimately this life to come, well, then it changes your perspective. It changes what we're living for. It changes what, what we're supposed to be all about. You know, there are, again, some preachers who will teach you that you can have your best life now and that the purpose of Christianity is to make your life on earth better or great or more awesome. And don't get me right, wrong. Following Christ and living by his principles improves your life. But that doesn't take away the fact that this life is not what it's all about. This life is not what we're for. What we were created for is something so much more. And I actually want to look at a passage of scripture that talks about where our ultimate home is, where our ultimate sense of satisfaction is, where our ultimate just fulfillment is, and it's in this place that we as Christians talk about at heaven. Let's look at a passage of scripture that talks about our new home. It's in Revelation chapter 1, and we start reading about it in verse 1. So, so the very first story in the Bible is about a home. It's about a man and a woman who live in a garden. And because sin came in, it got messed up, evil came in there, they had to leave that home because evil was going to just mess up the world. And one of the most gracious things God does is he doesn't leave us in that evil. He doesn't let us find satisfaction in this life. And so the rest of the story of the Bible is about God's plan to bring us to this new home, this new Jerusalem, it's called. And as we walk through this passage, what I want to do is I want to shift your focus. I want to shift your perspective. I want to shift your source of longing, not to anything you have here on earth, but for what's waiting for you in eternity. And this is the funny thing about that, is what that's going to do then is it actually comes back to this life and it makes this life worth living. It makes this life have a new purpose. It takes the pressure on the, off this life to satisfy us and then we become satisfied with this life because we know something so much more powerful, so much more real, is waiting for us. And so this is what it talks about with our eternal home that's waiting for us. It's the last story in the Bible. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, we read about it. He says, then I saw, look at this, a new heaven and a new earth. Okay, so here's something you need to understand. God's plan is not to fix this earth. Now again, following by Christian's principles and Christian's living, we make things better, we work to things better, we do forgotten initiative, we work with the homeless, we work with addictions, but at the end of the day, God's big plan is not to fix the earth. His ultimate plan is to create a new heaven and a new earth. That is to say, a new spiritual reality and a new physical reality. The new spiritual reality is an understanding that, that this spiritual part of our life, which is weakened or which is damaged, which is not strong, is going to be renewed. We're going to be able to see with spiritual eyes. You know, one, I have a challenge for you this, this, this Christmas, an activity you could do for your family. I want you to go to the Google, all right? Get your iPad or your computer screen and look up people who see color for the first time. 
Because what you're going to see is they have glasses now for people who are colorblind. How many have seen this? You know, they've been colorblind their whole life, and they can put these glasses on, and for the first time, they can see colored. And after you're done with that, because you're going to cry, you should know you're going to cry when you see it, then you should go and you should look up people who hear for the first time. And then there's a whole other group of videos where people are putting hearing aids on, and for the first time, babies hear their mother's voices. And mothers hear their children's voices. And people who have never heard hear for the first time. And they are absolutely overwhelmed because there are colors they never dreamed of. There's sound. One woman on one of the videos I saw said, I can hear music. That's what I imagined it would look like. Now understand this, is that right now spiritually, there are things we can't see. There are things we can't perceive. There are things we can't understand. But in the new heaven, there's a new spiritual reality. And there are things for us to discover that we cannot. And and there are things we've been longing for that that we can't even begin to understand that are going to be revealed to us. And the longer we are there, the more we are transformed to receive more of that and more of that and more of that. Not only that, there's a new earth. One of the things people don't understand is that eternity is not like spiritually just kind of floating upon a cloud and we're all kind of ghosty spirits playing hearts. I don't want to see any of you people in togas. None of that, okay? The Bible actually teaches is that there's a new physical reality that he remakes the earth and it's everything that we could imagine without plastics in the ocean without forests that have been devastated without environments that are are getting too hot and getting messed up and 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 species that are are wiped out there is a new heaven and a new earth and we will no longer be at war with it there will no longer be thorns and aggressions we will actually be part of it and live at peace with it and so the reality is that there is a real existence in fact the bible teaches that 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 existence is more real than this existence because sin and brokenness keeps us from actually perceiving that existence. So that's what's waiting for us. Why would you settle for something here temporary to be satisfied in? Because the reality is waiting for us. Look what he says. For the first heaven and the first earth passes away. This, This injustice, this evil, this brokenness, it will pass away. Look at this. And the sea was no more. I said, well, what do you mean by the sea no more? Now, this is a metaphor for something. What he means there, because in another part he says, there's a crystal sea. He is on an island. The guy who wrote the book of Revelation, he's trapped on an island. And on that island, he's separated from the people he's writing to, the people he loves. So when he says there's no more sea, what he's saying is there's no more separation. There's no more. We'll be together. How many people have somebody they love who's in heaven? There's no more separation in heaven. And, and you realize the longer they're there, the cooler they get. Everything that annoyed you about them is drifting away. Can I get an amen? And everything that was glorious about them is multiplying and living up to its promise. And they are becoming more and more. In fact, C.S. Lewis says, if we could see them as they are, we would be tempted to worship them. Now, we won't worship them, we'll worship Jesus, but because they're so beautiful, they're so complete. That's what's waiting for you. There's no more sea, there's no more separation. Look at verse 2. He said, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. The word Jerusalem here, it means city of peace. And so Jerusalem, 
finally lives up to its name. That city where here on earth is a city where they get nothing but war. Now it's actually going to be the city of peace. It's coming down from heaven. And so heaven comes to the new earth and, and it's being prepared. God has been preparing this for us. Now understand, God is preparing something for us and we should anticipate it like a great feast or like the perfect gift or like a, like a new home or something This is totally satisfying. He's been preparing it. And listen, while we're on earth, you see why he leaves us here? Well, he's preparing us to be there. And so he's doing work in us, and he's doing work there, and he's going to bring it together. He says being prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And that metaphor is full of longing. It's full of desire. It's full of satisfaction that I've been looking forward to this. And this is what's coming for us, that we have a new home, a a new reality. Now, there's a lot of things that aren't in heaven. Look what he says, verse 21, uh, verse 3, chapter 21, verse 3. He says this. He says, I heard a loud voice from from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is with man. Look at this. He will dwell with them. So many people say, I just wish I could see God. I just wish I could touch God. You're going to be able to see God. You're going to be able to see the person of Jesus Christ. And what he says, they will be his people and God himself will be their God. And so there's no more mystery. There's no more separation. There's more longing. There's still mystery. Because <clears throat> you're never going to figure out God, and that's a good thing. Because if you figured out God, then you'd be God, and you're not qualified. And so, 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 there's this incredible understanding that we will have intimacy with God. We have longing for God, that ache for more, that those times when we have worship, and it's so real that we just, it's just, it's almost there. We, we, we're just almost there. It's so good, oh, and then it drifts away. Song ends. The service ends. Then we go back to this gray shadow land. Those are down payments. Those are foreshadowings of the reality times a bajillion that we will experience in Christ. This is what's waiting for us. Look at what it says in verse 4. It says, he will wipe away every tear from their eye. And so we won't start chewing on past pain. There's no post-traumatic stress in heaven. There's no pain of remembrance in heaven. He says, and death shall be no more. People say death is natural. Death's not natural. Death's an intrusion. Okay, and we die, we want to die well, we want to, I, I, I just, some of those heroic people I know are nurses and doctors and hospice workers who, who walk alongside us when we die. But at the end of the day, we weren't created to die, we were created to live. And in heaven, death will be no more. It'll be a past tense. After we're there for a thousand years, someone say, hey, remember death? Someone's going to say, no, what was that again? Because this is all life. Those things won't even be remembered. It says, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. Look at this. For the former things have passed away. Those things that haunt you, that you think they will never go away, in Christ in heaven, they go away. The old order of things pass away. There is a place of peace. There is a place of, of, of healing. You know, in heaven, there's going to be a lot of you out of work. I mean, we're not going to need doctors. We're not going to need lawyers, right? I mean... <laughs> There'll be some lawyers in heaven. Come on now. All right. I'm sorry, lawyers. Lawyer jokes. Lawyers are wonderful. The law is beautiful. I'm going to get emails on that. Doctors and lawyers. Be long and complicated emails, too, because it's the lawyer. I'm I'm sorry. I got to stop. I got to stop. All right. Just so easy. Doctors and lawyers. We're not going to need financial planners. We're not going to need insurance agents, grief counselors. We're not going to need preachers. Some of you look really very happy about that. You didn't know whether to say amen or not, did you? Because 
All preachers are just sitting there, that, look. There's Jesus, and there it is. And so the old order of things pass away, and, and, and the evil go. And then all things become new. Look, look what he says. He said, he who sits on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And so those things that were broken, they fade away. Those things that, that were whole and good, but just don't quite live up to a promise, they're going to be complete. They're going to be glorious. They're going to be as we know they should be. He said, also, he writes, write these things down. These words are trustworthy and true. Verse 6. And he said to me, it is done. He said, I've decided this is finished. This is going to happen. Write it down. Mark it down. This is your source. He said, I am the beginning. It starts with me, Alpha. I am the Omega. I, I am, I'm the one it ends with. I'm the beginning and the end. He says, look at this. To the thirsty, that is to say, to those who are longing to those who are dissatisfied, to those who say this world is not enough. There's nothing in this world that's going to make me complete. To the thirsty, look at this, I will give a spring of living water. Not only will you be satisfied, satisfaction will flow from you. That is your destiny. And he says it's without payment. He says you don't earn it, you don't get it. It's given as a free gift of grace. That is to say the thirst is satisfied. You know one of the reasons I know there's a heaven? Well, because everything else in the world that is about longing has a point of satisfaction. Think about this. We get thirsty and God created water. Water satisfies the thirst, right? We get hungry and, and we say there's got to be something out there to eat and God creates food. And it says we create a longing, physical passion for, for intimacy. And God create, you know, just one of his better ideas and babies. And, and I'm just going to stop there. But the point is, there's satisfaction for that longing. We create, got this dire desire to belong and God creates friendship. Well, here's the deal. Why in the world would God create? E- even if you're, if I can just say it, even if you're an evolutionist, because evolution, if you believe in evolution, evolution created things in such a way that, that, that doesn't waste stuff. And even if you believe in evolution, what's the point of longing? Unless there's something beyond the physical world that satisfies the longing. And so just like thirst is satisfied by water and hunger is satisfied by food, this longing that's in us, that we know it's there, that I was created for more, I was created more of significance, this is not the way it's supposed to be, is satisfied in the new Jerusalem. See, it's a spiritual satisfaction that only comes through God. Now, in verse 70, he says, to the one who overcomes, to the one who doesn't give up, to the one who doesn't give in to despair, to the one who doesn't look at this life and say it's meaningless, it's hopeless, there's no satisfaction in there, and instead of just giving up and crawling into their selfish self, they said, but you know what? That's exactly the way it's supposed to be. Instead of me looking at this lack of satisfaction as a punishment, or that God is messed up, or it's a big Christmas lump of coal, I celebrate understanding it is a gift, it is a diamond, it is precious, because I would never want to be satisfied in this. The one who overcomes and the one who gets through the the difficulties and the good days and the bad days and the in-between days in this life and overcomes is given a heritage or a legacy or a promise or an inheritance. That's what the word heritage means. And he says, I will be their God and they will be my children. And if there's one thing we know about God, he knows how to give his children good things. And so we become part of the family of God. This is what is waiting for us. This is our destiny. You know what that heritage is? You know what that new, new, new eternity is? Here's some of the things that are promised to you by your father. There are multiple verses. I don't have time to go through them, but, but you could look it up. All right, come ask me. I'll show you where to find. The Bible tells us in heaven, we get a new body. Anybody ready for a new body? Now, some of you are young and think you've got your glorified body now, okay? Listen, let me just tell you, 
Gravity is not your friend. It's working against you, right? Time is not on your side. It's just a matter of time till wrinkles and fading, and you can cream it, and you can tuck it, and you can Botox it, and you can do whatever you want. But at the end of the day, this is fading. But the Bible says, the Bible promised, think about this, that we are given a body incorruptible. A body that, that is, is glorious in ways that we can't even understand. We were made, we were created to be that. It also tells us, the Bible says, we get a new mind. So a mind that overcomes things like anxiety and despair and fear and boredom and just numbness and depression. We are given a new mind in Christ. And in Christ, when we overcome, when we live through this life well, not giving up, not giving to despair, but trusting in him for what's coming, whatever we have to get through here, because we looked at this last week, anything we go through here is light and temporary compared to what is beyond compare waiting for us. And so, and so we are given a new mind. And this mind will allow us to learn and to understand and to grow and perceive and to understand. The Bible says... Now we look through a glass dimly, and we don't see clearly. He says, then we will see face to face. And be, oh, wow, that is right. That is cool. That is amazing. What else? What else? What else? If your understanding of heaven is you're going to get there, you're going to get perfect, and you're just going to be kind of, okay, now what? I'm perfect. You don't understand heaven. Because heaven is a never-ending process of discovering because we're swimming in the vast reality of God. And you just never come to the end of that. And so you're given a new mind to perceive things. You're given a new heart. That is to say, you will desire the right things. You will want the right things. For those of you who struggle with addictions or compulsions, running back to those things, in heaven, those things will be nothing to you. They'll be like sand in the mouth of a, a thirsty person. They will be empty. They'll have no hold over you anymore. You will feel real passion. You will be alive. Alive, perhaps uh, in terms of your emotional life in a way you never have been before. You'll be given a new purpose. The Bible actually says we'll be given work to do in heaven. We'll be given, the Bible says this, it says we will rule with Christ in heaven. So we'll have responsibilities and challenges. We'll have things to do. There's all kinds of mysteries about how that's going to work. But at the end of the day, heaven is a place of incredible purpose. And you'll be given new relationships in heaven. If I can just say it, you won't be a jerk. Some of you are jerks. <laughs> there are some days I'm a jerk too I gotta tell you right and I don't like myself when I'm like that but in heaven I won't have to struggle like that I will know how to love you and you will know how to love me and, and there will be great delight in, in fully knowing you and you fully knowing me as we fully know Christ it says we will be changed to be like him because we will see him as he is see this is what's waiting for us so why in the world would we satisfy, satisfy with anything we're waiting for here? Why in the world would we think there's got to be something down here that has to be enough? When what we recognize is what's waiting for us is beyond anything. See, what that does is when we understand that, we can look at the disappointments in this life, and they're not so disappointing. Because the worst, listen now, listen now. The worst things that will happen to the person on earth, okay, the worst things that can happen... The persons on earth who's going to heaven, those will be the worst thing that ever happened. And in eternity, they will drift away, they'll become forgotten. In fact, God will even use the pain of that to do glorious things in preparing us. And so even the pain of this life gets transferred and changed into something good and even beautiful at times in in the most powerful way. It's hard to see in the middle of it, but God can use that for eternity. See, he's preparing us as he's preparing there. Now, on the other hand, if, if you're not going to heaven, if you're going to another destiny, if you haven't got a relation with Christ, the best things that happen to you in life, the best moments, and you know they're not enough, they're not satisfying, that's all you'll have for eternity. 
Because eternity in, in hell is just the worst going on forever and ever and ever. It, despair nonstop. But heaven is the place of hope and healing and, and transformation. So what we go through here, all of a sudden, he turns our trials into gold in the most beautiful, powerful way. And so let me just, I just want to ask you a question this Christmas season. I, I want to offer you a gift. It's actually not for me, it's from God. I, I want to offer if that if you're thirsty, if you're dissatisfied, if you, you recognize that this world is not enough, and maybe you're just about to give up on it, you're just full of despair, I just want to say to you, that is the greatest thing that could happen to you. As long as then you turn to the source of eternal meaning, which is the person of God and his son, Jesus Christ. He says to everyone who is thirsty, I give as a free gift, a free gift. Water that satisfies eternal life. You, you can be with me as your child. Say, how does that work? I mean, what do I have to do? I have to join the church? Joining the church won't get you there. A lot of people who are members of churches aren't going to go to heaven. Okay? You know, you say, well, do I have to get baptized? Listen, if you just get baptized and that's all you do, all you are is wet. You say, I have to give money. It's a money thing. Listen, it's free. It's free. In fact, if you give money thinking that will get you right with God, you actually, it's a curse to God. God's offended by it. You say, well, oh, how does it happen? Well, here's the deal. This baby was born, and his name was Jesus. And, and his name, Jesus, means uh, saving the people. It means the one who saves. And so, so Jesus was born, and, and this Jesus didn't just stay as a baby. He was the promised one. He was fully God and fully man. So as fully humanity, he felt all of our pain totally in our experience. As fully God, he becomes an acceptable sacrifice for all our sins. He's the only one who can carry the weight of our sins on his shoulder. And this Jesus grew up, and he taught us things, and he showed us a better way, and, and he promised, he said this to us. He said, listen, don't let your hearts be troubled. He said, trust in God, trust in me. He said, in my Father's house are many rooms, and I go there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, don't you know that I'm going to come back to take you to be where I'm at? So he made that promise. He said, how did you do that? Well, that very next day, he was put on a cross. And when he was nailed on a cross, our sins were put on the cross, and our sins were paid for. And you say, so, so that's the gift. Your sins are forgiven so that your life can start being transformed and you can experience the ultimate transformation in eternity. You are given a home. You are made a child of God by the gift that Christ has given you. You say, well, how do I get that gift? You just accept it. You accept it by faith. You simply say, Jesus, I messed up. I've sinned. I find no satisfaction in this life. But I've got to have a relationship with you. And, and I just ask you to forgive me. I ask you to come in my life. I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. And I want to follow you. And someday, I want you to take me home. Until then, I'm going to live this life knowing you and following you and doing the best I can to become more like you. But someday, I put my hope that you'll take me to be home with you, you know, because of what you did for on the cross. See, someday, I'm going to go before God. I'm going to die or he's going to come back, one of the two. And God's going to say to me, Paul, why should I let you come, come in? He said, I, I could say I'm a pastor of a big church. Or I got kids or, or I did these good things. Or all and he's saying, none of that counts. And what I'm going to say when I stand before God is simply this. Father, your son Jesus said that if I put my faith in him, then you would make me his child. And the only hope I have of getting into this new home, this place of complete satisfaction, is what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. And the father will say, well, you're one of mine. Because Jesus sits at his right hand. He says, Jesus is one of yours. Jesus is going to say, that's Paul. He's one of mine. And God's going to, the father's going to say, he's one of yours. He's one of mine. And he's part of my family. Welcome home. See, this world is not our home. We are passing through. That's why it's so good. It's not satisfying. We're visitors. 
If the satisfaction were here, we couldn't keep it. And so what I want to ask you is, have you in your life ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? But what I actually want to do is I want to pray a prayer. And I like to pray a prayer that's just basically asking Jesus to come into our life, forgive my sins, be the source of my satisfaction, and one day take me home. And if you're here this weekend and you're recognizing because the Spirit of God is speaking to you that that's a prayer you want to pray, then just let my words be your words this Christmas season. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I need you. I have sinned and I have messed everything up. This world has nothing that offers me satisfaction. So I turn to you and to your son Jesus. I believe he lived, he died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead. Lord Jesus, I believe you are preparing a place for me and one day you will take me to be with you to our eternal home. A place of light, peace, acceptance, complete satisfaction and joy. Until then, I will follow you in good times and bad times, for you are my Savior and you are my Lord. I will not look at this life as my source of satisfaction, but as an investment in the life to come. For with you and the Father, there is life, and that is my eternal home. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.